Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. And this is your host, Deb Crow, and I have found another fellow Canadian that I have invited onto the show. And let me tell you a little bit about Curian Therakin. He is the founder of a sales and marketing strategy firm called Strategy Peak Sales and Marketing. He's a 27-year veteran of the sales and marketing industry, and he has consulted with companies in several sectors. He is also the Amazon bestseller of the seven essential stories charismatic leaders tell, and it details how anyone can move people and mountains with the power of a story. So, Curian, welcome to the show. Deb, thanks for having me on. It's uh, always exciting to have a fellow Canadian from beautiful Edmonton, Alberta. Alberta is one of my favorite provinces in Canada. One of my favorite as well, although I've been down to Ontario many, many, many times, right? Uh, certainly not in the middle of COVID lockdown, but, you know, we're hoping. One of these days. So I want to start by saying when I did my research and, and read your bio, I was excited to have you on the show you certainly exude heart-centered leadership. And I know for you that you say the story, the story, the story is where things happen and that's foundational. Share with us why stories are so important and, and as you coin it, are really the core of our personal brand. Ultimately, the only way we can relate to our world, let alone to each other, is through the stories we tell. And the stories are either given to us in a nice tight package or we make them up because our brains, uh, they, our brains crave meaning. It craves meaning. So whatever is in front of you, you know, if it's going to be significant in your life, it has to have meaning. And in order for it to have meaning, it has to reside in a story. And so the only way we understand our world is through our stories. So let's tell the stories we want the people to hear and act on. So you know where I'm going to go with my second question. There's always a story. And, and what led you to the trajectory of becoming a heart-centered leader and really leaning in and yourself craving meaning in your own story? Well, ultimately, uh, we can either be, I'm a sales and marketing strategy consultant. That's what I do. I work with a lot of startup companies, uh, trying to get into the marketplace, scale in the marketplace, stay in the marketplace, hopefully as well, right? But, you know, underneath all of that, whether it's a product or a service uh, that you're selling, what is the purpose of why you're doing what you're doing? And especially in startups, it is that grit and perseverance and vision for that purpose 
That is what's going to carry you through the tough times. And I guarantee there will be tough times. Uh, you know, 99.998% of all startups have tough times. You know, Mark Zuckerberg being the exception. You know, going from a dorm room to $100 billion, $200 billion company, whatever it is today, uh, in 12 years, that's unheard of. Most people uh, go through a, a some kind of series of turmoils, right? And it's only by understanding the story that has that deep meaning, that passionate resonance for yourself, that'll keep you going forward. Well, and people, you know, when they hear the story, like you say, they crave the meaning and it's, and it's almost like that emotional processing and, and the relatability that we have to say, me too, or I happened, you know, that happened in my life. It's, you know, I interviewed someone earlier today and we talked about the, we are the product of all of our failures. We all can say that. So how nice is it to have that heart and head alignment and know that, like you talked about, those peaks and valleys. I always say growth comes from the valley. Find me an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, whatever, anyone in business who hasn't had their ups and downs. It's kind of like how many people congratulated me at the end of our one-year podcast at the end of April. And they said, wow, most people start and, you know, they'll do X amount of episodes and you didn't. Well, how come? What happened? I had a vision. I had a goal. I, I had a, a deep, deep, passionate why that you talk about. And if we're out there, just like we're doing right now, having a conversation about heart-centered leadership, I think the world needs that right now more than ever. More than ever. I, I think, you know, if anything, the last year and a half has taught us since COVID struck uh, is how much of our lives are created beyond the business, you know, beyond our jobs, beyond our careers, uh, you know, and people have rediscovered relationships and their family and, and what they are really passionate about, why they're really doing things. And, you know, it, it is a completely different way of looking at things rather than just being a rat race participant. And uh, it certainly was true for me. I've, I've seen it in many, many of our, my clients as well. And unless you have that as a possession, uh, not only is your own life uh, not as meaningful as you can make it, but the people that you touch, your employees, your customers, they will also sniff that out as well. And, you know, ultimately, uh, uh, one of the reasons, and I'm sure, you know, anybody that I want to associate with, uh, one of the reasons they do business with anybody else is because of the values of that organization and the people behind it, beyond the products and the services, right? And those values are very much a heart-centered process. Well, and the other thing that you're making me think of during your last response is, I've had so many conversations with elderly people, including my own mother-in-law who's 94 and still lives on her own in her own home. And hearing them say, I never thought I'd see something like this in my lifetime. And then looking at the trajectory of their life and what they've come from, whether it was war-laden time or diphtheria, poverty, and them now seeing how grandiose this is. But when you boil it down, it's the emotional part that you talk about and not being able to have that social connection to family and going to the mall or going walking. 
And I love the goodness that you talk about that this pandemic has brought us. Families are having dinner together. They're baking bread and doing things that are always on that list we're going to get to when we have time. Exactly. Exactly right. The, um, the idea that we were forced to slow down. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I would have slowed down unless I had, I was compelled to legislatively compelled to slow down, right? And I realize, you know, if we, if we look back on this, uh, those stories that we tell ourselves, uh, we rarely look to see whether they are still relevant. I, I read a great quote years ago, and it was that beliefs are something, uh, beliefs are not something that we think about. They are something we think with, mm -hmm. right? And it's a lens. And the lenses that, for the most part, uh, are given to us through socialization, which is a form of programming, it's cultural programming, right? So we can be good participants in the society. Uh, and, you know, you have to have a respite at some point and ask yourself, is this working? Is this actually working? Is this the direction I should be going? Is that the destination I want to really end up in? And uh, the way I think today, I'm in my mid 50s, uh, is a lot different. I think most mid 50 year olds would say this than you were in your 20s, let alone your 30s, let alone your 40s. And, you know, in your 20s, you would never guess that you go through that level, much transformation in the way you think. And primarily what I'm talking about is things like values and belief systems. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you talk about a three decade kind of review and everything you've packed into your own leadership trajectory from work experience to life experience, successes, failures, family, children, relationships. It's, it's so multifaceted. And I, I think that's such a powerful statement. Now, the question that's always going to have what I call foundational residency in my podcast is share with the listeners what imperfections you bring to your heart-centered leadership. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. I'm going to share with you some of my vulnerabilities. Brene Brown would say that. Okay. Uh, I think some of the imperfections are that, um, you know, I'll tell you what I've been able to overcome, I think think, okay, to, to a much greater extent. I don't think it'll ever go away. But I've had always a real struggle with anger in my life. You know, always a real struggle. And I remember reading a great article about Martin Luther King Jr. and his struggle with anger. And I never realized how much of a problem it was and how much of an on-off switch we have to control that. You don't have to react. <laughs> you just don't need to react, right? And I, I put up a quote about this uh, recently, you know, uh, you know, that the vast majority of our decision making, you know, we have a choice to either proactively respond or react. And proactive response, you know, reaction is just reaction. Proactive response requires a pause okay, to reflect on what's really going on and then think about what you are going to do next. And the, I ended up that quote by saying, now, proactive response, you know, is, is a much more difficult process, but it's also uh, aftermarket uh, software. It's aftermarket software that people have mostly neglected to install. The factory install software is reaction immediately, right? Hit the brakes, get angry, whatever it is. But that proactive response is what actually uh, will guide your life in the directions you would probably rather go. So anger is a big thing, you know, and... Uh, uh, 
that's, I had a couple of instances of that uh, last summer. So almost a year ago, you know, and it, it was one of those things that actually came back to bite me. And I guess throughout life, it's always bit me. <laughs> I just thought I had to, it was just natural part of life. It's not. And so this anger part, you know, you can actually put it aside and, uh, you know, you might be annoyed about it, but you don't have to let the entire world know. <laughs> right. And then you just keep going keep going in the, in the direction you want to go. Well, and, you know, I'm also a yoga teacher and it's just an emotion that doesn't serve us. Whatsoever. And, and as a leader, you know, one of our forefront daily activities should be our energy management. And, and anger is just a misuse of our, our time, our energy, and quite frankly, effort. So that's, that's really vulnerable. That's a great one. So congratulations on, on nipping that one off the list. We'll see how long it's been nipped, right? But so far it's been working and because I'm very cognizant of it now. And I guess this is another part of the belief systems that, you know, and uh, it's a reflex, right? And the reflex in the sense of, you know, somebody uh, did me wrong. I have to get angry. Well, you don't. And that only finally kicked in this summer, last summer, right? It's interesting. It's interesting. I coach a lot of C-suite leaders and I tell them that one of their best superpowers is silence. Mm. And they challenge me on it until I have them sit in a meeting and just observe. And what we can observe, whether we're at a boardroom table or on Zoom, is 75% of the communication is nonverbal. And when you're not speaking... Do you ever have a higher level of receptiveness for what you're seeing, even though you're not speaking? So it's yeah. very, very powerful. Exactly. Now you had said in uh, some of our research when we were talking about the story and being a great leader, I'm going to frame my question around this. You said a great leader with a poor story becomes a poor leader but a mediocre leader who wields a powerful story has the opportunity to become a great leader. So my last leadership question is, give us an example of someone we may or may not know from both of those slants from a story and a leadership perspective. Well, if we take a look at, uh, you know, if, especially underdogs, uh, people that have come from behind, I, I can probably give you more positive examples of that than, than negative. Uh, but um, positive examples would be people like Harry Truman. And Harry Truman uh, had a very interesting history. You know, no, he was always uh, Mr. Roosevelt's sidekick. And suddenly he found himself thrust into the leadership of a country that now possessed a nuclear weapon, <laughs> the world's first nuclear weapon. And the enormous machinery uh, that was behind it that wanted to deploy it that wanted to deploy it, right? And this idea of him having to basically control, uh, because there wasn't just supposed to be two bombs made. This was going to be a bomb-making factory. That's one of the things that people don't understand. There, there was no plan just to drop two bombs on Japan. There was actually a plan for a third bomb and a fourth bomb to be produced. Third bomb to be dropped, fourth bomb to produce, and there was going to be a bomb-making factory. Now, that was muzzled in a, in a large sense. That third bomb was never dropped and, you, and they've got a couple of thousand warheads now. But you know, at that point in time, the world was uh, teetering on, on the brink of a lot of 
absolute destruction as a possibility, right? And of course, then we go into the, the Cold War and all these different types of things. But Truman had to come up with a story that allowed the United States to occupy, occupy a position of world power with this awesomely destructive weapon, you know, that can absolutely kill everybody. And carve out a way that you can have at least a an, an uneasy piece, a cold war in the process, right? And while everybody figured out what to do with this, you know, just monolithic weapon that, that had the ability to cause such immense death. So there's an example of a story uh, that I don't think Mr. Truman ever thought he would ever have to uh, pull together. He was a haberdasher. <laughs> That's what he was back in Missouri. You know, he he sold men's apparel, <laughs> and suddenly he is now in charge of uh, this mighty, mighty nation. You know, and he's the same guy that fired Douglas MacArthur. <laughs> Who would have ever thought that he would have to do those kind of things? Well, and those underdog stories are such a great example of heart-centered leadership where the sector is borderless. It's kind of like where we are now with COVID. COVID-19 as a global pandemic has made business borderless because every business is going through the same thing, the same navigation, the same, you know, level of VUCA, that volatile, unprecedented complexity and ambiguity time. And it's a lot of pressure and a tremendous amount of obligation on C-suite leaders. Because here you are, just like you, you alluded with Truman, you have your own vision and all of a sudden you're driving a ship at the helm through a tsunami, but keep your vision and keep operating at a high level, no pressure. Because you don't have any other choice. Exactly. Right? And, and so one of the th things I say as well, though, is that, you know, oftentimes we mistakenly think that the leader, the individual is the leader. They actually, it's actually a dual orbit. So the leader relies on their story and the story relies on their leader and they orbit each other. They rely upon each other. Their power is derived from each other. So that's why I say a great leader with a poor story becomes a poor leader. You know, and, and you gradually destroy all credibility they have. But a mediocre leader with a great story has the ability to attract that, that well of inspiration and the, the followers that they need to bring it all together to, to carve a way for that organization, for that country, for your products, whatever it is, right? Uh, but that story has to come first. That story has to come first because for the most part, I'm sure this is going to be very true in your life as well. Sometimes your best stories come out of pure inspiration. It's not something you planned. It's not something you, you know, you calculate away. You know, you're, you're sitting there one day and lying there one day and suddenly it hits you. All of this comes together. Well, where did that come from? And ultimately it comes from a aspect of inspiration. You know, it, it has to come from a deep well of soulful um, openness to what the universe is going to provide you in the way of that story that's going to move people and mountains. And that's how I came up with this podcast eight weeks into COVID last year. Because of inspiration. Well, and the well of inspiration, I believe, is our heart. And when, and, it's, and and it, when it's aligned with our head, yeah, watch out. So one of the things I tell my entrepreneurs is that, you know, in order to really understand if the decision that you have in front of you 
uh, is the right decision for you to be pursuing is to make sure that your three brains are aligned. And physiologically, there are th three brains if we count the number of neurons that are present. And so the biggest one is obviously your brain brain. Then you have your heart. Heart has a very strong complex of neurons. And then the third is your gut. And the way I explain it is, you know, the brain is all about the logic, about whether something is right, wrong, calculations, those kinds mm -hmm. of things. The heart is all about love. And the love part is simply, you know, is this something that'll bring inspiration and joy and purpose and meaning? And your gut is going to keep you safe. <laughs> your gut is always vigilant about keeping you safe. So when these three brains are in alignment, you're probably in the right direction, on the right path. Well, and, and it makes me think, you know, I used to have my Irish Nana say, listen to your gut. I wonder when that cliche what generation made that discovery and, and came up with that cliche because that, that intuition that, and in leadership, it's called intuition management. You know, leaders listen to that and they go with their gut. And a lot of people think that they have everything figured out in every moment. And they have so many decisions in the course of a day that their intuition plays a large part of their decision-making. Now, the other part of it is that uh, decisions are not always concrete in their conclusion. They have to be adaptive. So when all three of your brains are in alignment, you have a greater ability to be adaptive in the situations that come, after, come to you after the decision is made. So even if you put the step forward and the second step is a little faltering, you have the ability to recover much more quickly because your brain and your heart and your gut are in alignment and you can make that next step to correct in confidence. I love that. I am going to switch to my, my fast fab four. I'm going to ask you four quick questions and, and you let us know what's sitting on the top of that brilliant sales and marketing mind of yours. First question, tell us something that we don't know about you. Something you don't know about me. Uh, <laughs> well, there's probably lots, right? Uh, the ultimate thing is what I'm doing today has, uh, I never thought I'd be doing it today. <laughs> You know, and so, and, and the, the kinds of things that are present today that give me joy and give me purpose and such are not things that I calculated. So I'm very, very much uh, in, in the current state of mind, what comes next? Because whatever it is, I'm going to be okay, right? And so I'm much more adventuresome today than I was perhaps 20 years ago, even 10. I love that. I, I call it living in the now. It's a great place to be. All right, second question. Please finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? Heart-centered leadership is the only way that you can create purpose and meaning in your life. If your heart is not aligned with your decisions, uh, and especially if you don't align those uh, decisions with other people's hearts and what they want and what their purpose and meaning in their lives are, no one's going to be happy. So heart-centered leadership is the only way to create purpose and meaning. Anybody can make a buck, but if you want to be able to create purpose and meaning, your heart's got to lead. I love that. Third question, share with us a book that you're reading right now. Give us the title, the author, and tell us why you're reading it. 
I'm reading several books uh, on storytelling. So I wrote a book on storytelling, as you know. But, you know, what I find is that uh, there's never uh, enough that you can't learn, right? Uh, there's no, you, you can always learn more about whatever uh, the topic is. Uh, so I, I, there's so many titles. I've got them all going. I've got a, a subscription to a, a, a site called Scribed. And, you know, and they've got all the titles in there and such. Um, and, and some of these books on storytelling are all about, uh, what is it, you know, the structure of storytelling. And the others are about the purpose of storytelling. But I find that, you know, I always have these little aha moments by rereading these things. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I can allude to that. And that's a great site. I, uh, I subscribe to that as well. All right, my last question is, what is one thing that you'd like our listeners to remember about you? The ultimate thing is that we live our lives and we get, gain purpose and meaning through the stories we tell. And the stories we tell do not have to be in retrospect. They're not necessarily historical. You can tell very powerful stories about what is going on today and where it will lead you to in the future. And when you tell those powerful stories, especially when you write them down, okay, and they can be written down in bullet form, paragraph form, whatever it is, your life has a funny way of aligning with that new narrative. Mm -hmm. And that is probably one of the most astounding things that people will realize is that they don't have to be victims of the now. <laughs> mm -hmm. They can actually actively co-create the now and where the now will become, the new now, uh, by engineering those stories, telling the narratives that they really want the world to know about them. And then they live that purpose and meaning within those stories. I love that. That's beautiful. Well, I want to thank you for spending time with me today and, and sharing your story and your expertise. And I'm welcoming you with open arms into the, the circle of heart-centered leader leadership on this podcast. And just want to wish you all the best in the future and navigating through these crazy times and look forward to future conversations. Terrific. Deb, thanks for having me on. It was my pleasure. And thanks again for joining me. Once again, this is Deb Crow on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. You've been listening to the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart-Centered Leadership Toolkit all free of charge. Thanks for your time and we'll see you again.